Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host... You're talking like a song from The Lion King. Stop that. It makes no sense. Michael Preston. Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast. I'm Michael Preston, as always, and I know uh, I know, I promised a podcast every other week uh, after our last one, but I could not help myself. Just couldn't be helped. No, Bill Connolly from SB Nation, uh, and more important, actually, no, just as important, Football Outsiders Football Study Hall as well, here to talk some advanced football stats with us with spring football practice uh, underway at Washington State. Be some spring football. I know I, I, it's only been a few months, but I, I already can't get enough of it. I want it. I want it back in my life uh, already. So he'll be here in just a little bit to chat with that. We'll have the Dunderhead of the week as well as always. But uh, I, I guess I kind of have an extended edition of the Dunderhead of the week this week to start things off. Um, I don't know why this struck such a chord with me. I, I, I honestly sometimes when I get mad at things. I, I don't know why it happens. I, I th- but this this just really got to me. Uh, Dwight Janus, I believe that's how you say his name. I'm not really sure. Works for Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. Uh, Pac-12 is flirting with disaster with its hoop tournament in Vegas. Let me just uh, read some excerpts from this one because I, I think you know that I am on record as saying this was probably the best move. The Conference could have made taking this tournament to Las Vegas. For one thing, attendance was up this year in an arena that is a little more intimate than the Staples Center in Los Angeles. So from that standpoint, I think it was much better. Also, Bill Walton. I mean, it just makes everything better, right? So, first of all, the the assertion that he makes first here, sure, in Oregon, people were glued to their televisions, but really nobody outside the state is going to get pumped up about this thing. Well, yeah, because the conference is terrible this year. You don't think people all throughout the Pac-12 region, if the conference is back to what it was, 06, 07, 08, 09, you don't think that people, even if it's just on this side of the Rocky Mountains, including Boulder, you don't think they're going to care? Give me a break. If the conference is back at that level again, you get, everybody will tune in. But And I'm sure people in Tucson and Phoenix... And L.A. with UCLA, I'm sure they all tuned in. In fact, I'm nearly positive. But but that's the least of the problems with with his article, with Dwight's article here on Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. Uh, this is just... I, and I knew this was going to come up. I knew this was going to come up at some point, okay? The teams are obviously staying in the MGM where the tournament is being held. Now, what's the problem with that? <clears throat> the problem is that there is a sports book downstairs in the MGM. And they did have the Pac-12 tournament games on the book there. I will admit, I think that's a mistake. I don't think you have the games that are going on in your hotel on the book in your hotel. Now, would it be just as easy if someone who you know wanted to affect the game to walk across the street to the Tropicana and bet on it? Yeah, it would be. But at least for appearance's sake, and to make it at least a little harder on someone... Maybe take them off the book there. Okay? I, I mean, that's that, that, that would be my thing. And from that standpoint, he's completely right. From that standpoint, Dwight Janus is completely correct. I understand that. Okay? But here's the other problem. 
here's here's where we get into kind of the old curmudgeon-y thing, right? He cites the ability of folks to walk around the casino and see some of the players. Okay, for instance, Brock Modem was in the casino at slot machines and he was signing autographs. That's what he cites in his article here. Okay. What's the big deal? When he says, but I'm also pretty sure a picture of one of the players holding court at a slot machine won't end up on the cover of that school's media guide next season. Of course it won't. But is that player, or student-athlete rather, engaging in an activity that is illegal? Is Brock Modem 21? Yeah. Pretty sure he is anyway. Is it legal for him in Nevada, in the state of Nevada, which he is in, to sit down in front of a slot machine at a casino and gamble his own personal money? Absolutely. If he's using scholarship money or any other funds like that, we got a different issue. But I'm fairly positive, given how what a high character guy Brock is, that he's not using Washington State University money to gamble at the MGM Grand. He is of legal age. He is using his own cash. And you know what? If people see him and they want an autograph, what's the big deal? The guy is doing a legal activity. But just because you have an objection to him putting a few bucks on a slot machine and seeing if the pretty little cherries will pop up for a jackpot doesn't necessarily mean it's depraved. Okay, now here's the other problem. I, and another thing we knew was going to come up was point shaving or ability to bet on the game there and to possibly shave some points off. Okay, for instance, the spread in the Washington-Oregon game was about three or four depending on what you got at what particular book you were at. Washington sinks a late three at the end of the game to go from six down to three down as the buzzer sounds. Money changed hands on that shot, and when you play the game in Vegas, a whole lot more scrutiny will come with such a thing than if the game were played in some place like Seattle or Eugene. That's just patently false. Absolutely not. It's just as easy for me to walk into a casino in Las Vegas with some cash Give it to the nice lady at the betting window. And by the way, make sure you tip them. You get extra drink tickets. I learned that this weekend. To walk in there, put down my cash for a basketball game, as it is for me to get on the computer, go to an online sports betting site, sign up for an account, send them my banking information, and to start betting on games. That is illegal. And if you want to be in a place that is going to have better control over that kind of activity than any other place on the planet, it's Las Vegas. Because when it comes to point shaving, who gets jobbed? Who gets jobbed there? It's not the people doing the betting. It's the books that get jobbed. Do you think the Mirage or the MGM, Mirage and MGM are the same Owned by the same people, same book. So do you think Mirage, Caesars, do you think they want a point-shaving scandal on their hands? A, if the feds found out about it, whole baby, are they in trouble. So internally, there's no, there is no reward for them to go to a coach, hey, you want to shave a couple of points off a game so we can get a few extra, few extra bucks out of it? There's just no reason for them to do it. The people who benefit from it are the betters that would go to someone and say, look, I'll give you 10 grand if you, you know, sink a last second shot. That's that's where the advantage comes in. But if there's a city that can track 
gambling, you know, can track what bets are being made on the games. It's Las Vegas. They know every, every casino knows every last penny that comes in and out of there. If you don't think they don't know and can't see patterns being bet on a basketball game, you're insane. But that's basically what Dwight is accusing the Pac-12 or, you know, saying we're flirting with disaster here. We're flirting with it. It, it, it just, it's just, and, and here's the thing. Here's the final paragraph. I just don't think it makes any sense for a conference. The haughty presidents of the schools and the Pac-12s sometimes come off as if they're running the Ivy League of the West. Well, frankly, I think we got a lot of good schools in the Pac-12, so yeah. To mess around with the temptations that Las Vegas can bring to college basketball players. Do a bed check. Do a bed check. Make sure they're there. Keep doing them all night. It's not that big of an issue. During the day, keep them occupied. There's plenty of cool stuff to go do. Go out to the Hoover Dam. Go to the Stratosphere. Ride a ride. There's tons of cool things you can do in Las Vegas and not gamble. And might I add, when Brock Modem was seen gambling, yeah, would I have an issue with it if Washington State was playing the next day? Yeah, you bet. But WSU had already been eliminated. They were there anyway. He's of legal age. It's his money. He's an adult. He can do that if he wants. The implication that there is going to be an issue from having this tournament in Las Vegas because of some uh, you know, preconceived notion you have with the perceived badness of gambling is outrageous. Is he just trying to be contrarian? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But if there is one town in the world you want to be in when it comes to A, the point-shaving issue, and B, monitoring any gambling done by a student-athlete or coach, it's Las Vegas. Do you think any coach would have risked pulling a Rick Neuheisel and putting any money on any game at a casino in Las Vegas? Absolutely not. There are more cameras there than Paramount Studios has in storage in Hollywood. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of cameras inside the MGM. You would be caught like that if you were a coach or a student-athlete trying to gamble on a sporting event there. Could it happen? Absolutely. But it's just as likely to happen anywhere else. Someone to call a student-athlete from thousands of miles away, hey, I'll give you money. And... Regarding the point shaving, that stuff happens all the time. It's called a backdoor cover. Sports bettors hate it. It's a really bad beat. But backdoor covers happen like that all the time. I think Dwight James is way off the mark on this one. I really, I really, really do. And I don't know why it got me so worked up, but it, it did. It was clearly a good switch for the conference. This year, not a lot of people were interested because the brand of basketball is not good yet again. But if there is one city you want to be in when it comes to the point shaving issue, when it comes to the betting issue downstairs at the sports book, it's Las Vegas. They will know. They will know if something is going on. And on the issue of Brock Bowden playing a slot machine, you know what? If his tournament's done. And he's got three days to kill in Vegas? Pfft. Let the kid to go downstairs and put 20 bucks in a slot machine. What do you care? 
Bill Connolly coming up next. And I promise it's going to be much more civilized than I just was. It's a great, going to be a great, great chat with Bill coming up here on the Coop Center Podcast. Back to the Coog Center podcast. Uh, it's a rather distinct honor and pleasure to welcome in Mr. Bill Connolly, a guy who knows more about football than just about, you know, more, knows more about football and will forget more than I will ever know in my lifetime, right? For Football Outsiders, Football Study Hall, Rock M Nation, and SB Nation. Uh, Bill, how are things going today? <laughs> They're pretty good on this end. How about, how about yourself? Well, you know, the, the, I can never complain about the sun, sun, sunshine in Los Angeles, but I can complain about my ability to speak the word. That's for darn sure. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit just kind of about advanced statistics. I know uh, you've kind of been uh, uh, one of the kind of preeminent guys uh, about advanced football statistics, and I, I kind of wanted to ask you if you could speak to just a little bit of kind of the origins of uh, advanced football stats for, for, for those who may not know, I think a lot of us coming into spring football this year, we kind of, we need a primer on these stats, including myself. And uh, I, you know, I obviously great tool to understand football. So where did all this kind of come from um, in terms of advanced statistics uh, when it comes to football? Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, in terms of a primer, you know, go on amazon.com, try to find yourself a relatively cheap copy of the hidden game of football. Um, it's a book that was written by Bob Carroll, Pete Palmer, and John Thorne. John Thorne's a, a still a really big a Major League Baseball st- uh, statistics guy, historian. Um, and, you know, they basically uh, – football really didn't have a lot of advanced um, stats or any sort of following in that regard. And, and, you know, in the late 80s, this was a time where, you know, Bill James was only had only been around for 10 years or so and, and was still kind of a, a cult following kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um like, like he was, you know, the the sport version of you know the meat puppets or something, and uh, <laughs> and and so you know it was it was I think this changed the way a lot of people thought about football, and it's still you know Aaron Schatz at Football Outsiders will still reference this book as as really inspiring him to go the route he ended up going, mm-hmm. and and so it really it's just it's a pretty cool book, and and a lot of the things you know that we talk about now maybe it makes a lot more maybe we you know. It's, it seems like common sense now, but a lot of it is still pretty, pretty provocative. The way we uh, judge field position, the way we judge mm-hmm. really special teams and things like that, and yeah. mistakes and, and all this. And it's, it's a book based around pro football, not college, but it's, a, it's just a really cool book. It's an easy read, um, and, and everybody should own a copy of it. Absolutely. We'll get to, we'll get to some of those stats here in a minute. I, I wanted to ask, though, you know, people like you mentioned, Bill James and his uh, bringing sabermetrics into baseball um, is is are these advanced statistics kind of any harder to calculate for football? Because I know in baseball you have such controlled situations. You know, obviously anything can happen in baseball, but really it's all very controlled. One pitch happens, and there's only X number of things that can happen. In football, my gosh, anything can happen at any time, and practically nothing is controlled. Is is it harder to kind of calculate and come up with formulas for these advanced stats in football than say it might be in baseball? Well, I mean, it depends on on what your your goal is. I mean, if you're just talking about, 
uh, coming up with a system of rankings, and it's really not harder just because, I mean, whether mm-hmm. you're using points points or yards or, or the play-by-play stuff that I do, uh, you know, you're still kind of you're, – you're looking at a certain data set that basically says, you know, this play on first and ten gained four yards. And, um, you know, I, what I try to do is just wring every little – every last drop of information out of that one line of play-by-play as possible. And, and, you know, we, we do quite a bit with it now. And, yeah. and now that we've, we really try to pick up on the charting data and all that, we can get more. But, you know, if your goal is to figure out how a left guard is doing, then it's probably too complicated. Yeah. You know, you're never, <laughs> we're never really going to be able to get that far. You know, uh, like you say with baseball, baseball has a lot more true outcomes involved. You know, there's a pitcher, a uh, guy tries to hit the pitch, the pitcher throws, and then a bunch of people try to field uh, the pitch the, the batter hits. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, and there are 10 guys involved in any given play. So, uh, you know, it is certainly a little, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to um, – to come up to an understanding, like to come to a, a quality evaluation in baseball, if you're talking sure. about individuals. But, okay. Um, in football, that's a lot harder, obviously. Okay. Let, let's go back to some of those uh, stats uh, you guys talk about, such as uh, S and P plus uh, drive efficiency. Uh, F plus just just kind of go over for me really quickly a, a quick little summary on uh, you know on those and maybe something else you might you might say is uh, most important when it comes to understanding uh, advanced stats for football. Outsiders, um, you know, we have what we call the overall rankings, which is the F plus rankings. That is a combination of mine and Brian Primo's. His, his is called the Primo Efficiency Index (FEI). Um, it's really just a, a simple co- a combination of the two. We have uh, very different methods for for you know making our, you know creating our data, mm-hmm. uh, and the two seems to be the best way to, to really come to come to an overall conclusion. So I sure. really like that. Um, his is based on drive data. He um, he looks at the possession data, where you started, where you in, finished, um, and, you know, who you were playing against. Um, I until this last offseason, mine was a pure uh, play-by-play metric. The S the S and P plus uh, measure is pure play-by-play. I didn't realize that there is extra value in finishing drives, though, and so I added a drive efficiency aspect to the measure just to make it better overall but the the three pieces right now of of S&P plus there is a drive efficiency aspect to it but really the other two parts are straight from baseball I you know I loved I loved baseball long uh, you know a lot more than I love or I I should say I love baseball stats a lot more than I love baseball Um, (laughs) and you know it just makes sense to me the on-base percentage and slugging percentage those things just make sense Mm -hmm. and so when I was setting out to create my own measures and really I only set out to create anything because it didn't exist I, I was looking for it one day I wanted to uh, you know I, I wanted to I love baseball stats I started looking for the same thing in football and at the college level it just didn't exist so I, I started doing it there's a success rate measure that came from football outsiders pro side that's basically on base percentage it's an efficiency thing yeah a play for play was this play successful or not and then there's a points per play measure which is basically explosiveness okay and a slugging, slugging percentage and okay. So yeah. Those are the two aspects of mine: is an efficiency aspect and an explosiveness aspect. Uh, explosiveness is worth a little more, so it's about sixty forty in the overall formulas. But um, you know, that's the general approach behind it. And then the mm-hmm. plus is just simply mean that just simply means it's an opponent adjustment. So, okay. Um, 
so, so yeah, in the end, what you're basically looking at with S&P Plus is an opponent adjustment, uh, opponent adjusted efficiency and explosiveness measure. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Last, last kind of overall question on this: Do you do you think these advances in football stats have made for for better football fans? For instance, you know, in the past, you complain about, let's just take for instance, Connor Halliday. Oh man, you know, Connor Halliday is such a bad quarterback. We'll get to him actually a little bit more in a little bit, but um, you know, oh, he's such a bad quarterback. Well, now you can either go in and you know find why and make the argument other than, well, he's just crappy and he can't hit an open receiver. You can actually go in and make this argument better, or you can counter that argument. Do you think these stats have kind of made for better, more intelligent football fans? If that's what you're looking for, yeah. I mean, you know, nobody's going to... Uh, you know, the people who sit around me in the stands are not going to just um, accept stats sometimes. You know, they don't want yeah. to. They don't care about it. They just want to enjoy the game the way they want to enjoy it. But if you are inclined um, to, you know, uh, well, if, if you are more of the analytical sort, of the, the numbers sort, then this is certainly um, a route for you that, that maybe didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes for, you know, the, it just gives you more tools uh, for analyzing football if you want to go that route, and, and I certainly do. Um and it's just, yeah, I, I like it a lot. It, it makes for a better experience for me. I would hope that it makes it for a better experience for some others, but it's never going to, you know, it, we're not going to convert everybody. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Let, let's now go to WSU for uh, for a little bit, for actually for the rest of the interview, for that matter. Uh, okay. What can, you know, Football Outsiders, I think you said it started in uh, 2005, correct? Um, three, Around that time. Believe, okay. Okay, sure. So Mike Leach had been at Texas Tech for a while while that website had been going and first year at WSU we obviously had uh, in in hindsight some rather grandiose over expectations uh, for what the offense would look like at WSU under Leach what did we see under Leach at Texas Tech and what did we see kind of in his first year at WSU really struggle with in terms of what you guys look at um, in your stats wise well I mean I think the biggest thing is um the biggest thing that we learned is simply that every passing game is not created equal. Um, I mean, I thought, I thought, uh, you know, Washington State. It was fair to think that maybe you guys get to, you know, six and six last year, something in that neighborhood. Nothing, yeah, I did too. Don't yeah. By any means. <laughs> but I, you know, I thought the offense would be good enough. I thought the in, the talent he inherited with the the balance between the kind of the hero ball guy and Halliday and, and Jeff Toole, the, the steadier, higher floor kind of guy. I thought he would be able to find a quarterback that suited his needs. I loved Wilson. Um, I thought he had enough pieces there to make something, make to craft a pretty good offense pretty fast. But mm-hmm. simply because guys passed for, or, or caught a bunch of yardage uh, the year before does not mean they're they're destined to do the same in the Leach system. Yeah. Uh, you know, from pretty much day one at Texas Tech, he had Wes Welker. And, um, you know, he had a guy he could lean on who, who was recruited, who he recruited, who he brought to the school, and, and who could run that system that he, he was looking for. He had Cliff Kingsbury right off the bat. Um, you know, he just he inherited uh, personnel that was better suited for him, and he, he was able to get a couple impact freshmen mm-hmm. in really quickly. Um, but what we saw from, from Halliday and speci- specifically is that, you know, a quarterback in a elite system needs to be a robot. You know, just read, react, read, react. If, yeah. if the defense is going to drop eight guys into coverage, then throw the six-yard pass every single time. Um, you know, maybe you need to be a hero late in the half uh, and take a few more chances. But you're just you're looking. If if it's just eight yards on one pass, six on another, all the way down the field, that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. And um, and Halliday, that's not 
or it wasn't at least, he's still got time, but that wasn't the quarterback he was last year. He was yeah. not ready to be that guy, and so he had to bring Tool in. He was leaning on a bunch of new receivers, obviously, and um, it, yeah, it just took it, it took a while, and, and it's <laughs> it was a little frustrating, that's for sure. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, let's talk about maybe what was the kind of biggest glaring hole for that offense last year? You know, you talked about kind of guys who maybe don't fit the leech mold, uh, but, but what was at least most surprising to you um, in terms of the stats they put up um, that you thought, you know, you obviously thought the offense was going to be a lot better. We can kind of come down and see, you know, that, okay, maybe we shouldn't have thought that, but even maybe was there something that you went, wow, I thought it might be bad, maybe, but I didn't think it was going to be like this. Well, the offensive line. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Swiss cheese, yeah, I like got, to refer we, to them as, yeah. Right, well, we got really used to, at Texas Tech, we got really used to just, I mean, the line almost didn't matter. The quarterback never got touched because, you know, he was throwing these six-yard passes if he had to. Um, and the splits were so wide, and, and it just seemed easy. It almost seemed like you didn't, that it, you just needed five, um, you know, trees there, and they didn't have to really actually do anything. Um, and that's clearly not the case. No. Uh, the line hurt a lot. You know, it, it, and it really ended up playing to Leach's worst tendencies. I mean, Leach, the joke at Texas Tech that we always had, and I mean, I'm a Missouri guy. We watch Texas Tech play all the time. I mean, you, at Texas Tech, Texas Tech could have run the ball any time they wanted for an eight-yard gain. Uh, and it just really felt like Leach just refused to do that, and, and opponents almost knew they were going to, they weren't going to run the ball no matter what. Yeah. Um, you know, when he had Torian Henderson there, one of the more underrated backs of the last decade, really. Um, you know, he would reach 100 yards rushing sometimes. He would get, you know, 10, 12, 14 carries a game, but um, it was still worth it to kind of turn your back on the run, knowing that he wasn't going to do it too much. And last year at Washington State, we saw that to an extreme. I mean, not only did he not run much, but he didn't work very well when he did it, so he completely gave up on it. Yeah. And uh, I'm never much of a – I hate the idea of balance just for balance's sake, but if they're giving that to you, if they really are dropping three or if they're rushing three and dropping eight into coverage, you've got to do a little better job of running the ball or at least trying to. Um, and, you know, between that and the fact that Halliday really was kind of allergic to the short pass – that was just that was a disaster. It was yeah. an efficient offense that was in no way efficient. Yeah, actually, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Halliday, as you said, kind of being allergic to that short pass. You did a post on Football Study Hall a couple weeks ago. I read it this week. An absolutely great piece um, comparing uh, quarterbacks and their adjusted uh, accuracy. And and Washington State was one of a couple of schools that had two quarterbacks on there, and and just the stark differences between Tool and Halliday. Halliday had him beat by a couple of percentage points on some deeper throws downfield, but my goodness, Jeff was just so much better on these short throws, and especially, as you said, from 10 to 14 yards, Tool a full 31.5% better. That just absolutely blows my mind that you know one quarterback could be like that and, and that Mike Leach would be stubborn enough, knowing in his system what you need to, from a quarterback, which is accuracy, to stick with a guy like that. Are you a little surprised that Leach stuck with with Connor Halliday when he was kind of so demonstrably less accurate than Tool for so long? Well, I think, you know, Leach, like everybody else, saw the upside. I mean, Halliday is really easy to like and really easy to root for. He's, he's kind of, you know, kind of like Tyler Bray in a way, and just that he's, um, I mean, he's got a great arm. He loves using it. Um, he wants to put the team on his back. He wants to be the guy who makes the pass that wins the game. Um, he wants to be a leader. You know, you see all these qualities that you really like seeing in a quarterback. Um, it, it just didn't 
<laughs> it didn't translate maybe as quickly as, as anybody thought. But yeah. yeah, you know, you look at the difference. Um, 67% of tools passes were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, but um, it was only 54% for Halliday. He had 54% uh, within 10 yards, and then uh, like 33% from 10 to 25 yards for Halliday, and only like 24% for tools. So yeah. Halliday was looking further downfield, and he just wasn't successful in throwing those passes, be it because of him or his receivers uh, or just making the wrong reads. Mm-hmm. It just it wasn't there, and he kept trying to he tr- kept trying to make it uh, be there, and it just wasn't. I, I believe that would be the old gunslinger mentality, I guess. So he's exactly, so, yeah. so 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 I guess the final question I would have for you with Hall- Halliday is that he's he's really got to improve his ability to look short if he wants to be effective in this system. I think you and I both know how like I've said how important accuracy is to the air raid. He's really got to work on those shorter throws, be more accurate with them. And maybe it's a little bit mentality. I'd like to get your opinion on it too. Maybe he's just got that gunslinger mentality of, you know what? Maybe that guy is open. I'm just going to throw it downfield. Is that something he also has to fix in addition to just getting into his head? Just take that short pass. It'll probably be there in Mike Leach's offense. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's fine to want to take shots downfield sometimes. It's just, you know, the more you can take what the defense is giving you, the more the defense will give you. Uh, I mean, if you if you kill them with that six or eight yard pass, um, that twenty yard pass is going to be more open than it you know in a in a few passes or a few series than it is right now. And um, I mean, the quarterback is so much about instinct, so incredibly much about instinct, and that's mm-hmm. why um, you know for you know if you compared Connor Halliday's arm to you know Graham Harrell's. Uh, you know, Halliday's arm just destroys Harold, but Harold's less than strong arm almost was a good thing in Leach's offense because it almost taught him his limitations, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's all instinct. That's all I can really think to say. And, and, and you know, how changing instincts is really tough when you get to the college level. Halliday wants to look downfield. He wants to make that big pass and, and, as we say, play hero ball a little bit more than the Leach offense requires. And we'll see. I mean, honing instincts is tough, and, and we'll see if he pulls it off. Yep. All right. I got one really final tough question here for you, Bill. Uh, I know on your Twitter bio it says you're a big Food Network fan. I am also a big Food Network fan. What is your favorite show on Food Network? Honestly, I need to update that because, I, you know, Food Network right now is just basically the uh, Southern Cooking and Bobby Flay Network. Yes, it uh, is. Yes. And it's, it's kind of – and Chopped. And Chopped. I, got, um, I love Chopped, though. I got no problem with Chopped. I, I stopped loving Chopped when I saw when I saw every episode 29 times. <laughs> I kind of gave up on it at that point. It stopped being enjoyable to me. So really, I'm kind of a Food Network or nothing, or I mean Cooking Channel or nothing kind of guy. Okay, I got um, you. Since they just show the old repeats of the good shows. I still like Iron Chef America. That's that's the one show that will suck me in there more than go. Chopped or anything else, and they definitely don't overplay that quite as much. Yeah, I know, I know enough to not put a red onion on Scott Conan's plate. That's what I know. Bill Connolly, <laughs> Football Outsiders, Football Study Hall, Rock M Nation, SB Nation. Bill, you're an intelligent, intelligent guy. People need to read whatever you do. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Be right back on the Kook Center Podcast for the Dunderhead of the Week, and it's a goodie. Stick around. Welcome
Welcome back to the Kook Center Podcast. It is time for our Dunderhead of the Week. And uh, this one goes out to um, a couple of gentlemen when I was playing roulette with some friends at the Quad Resort and Casino, better known as Imperial Palace, currently undergoing a remodel. Uh, the Pac-12 tournament, I was playing uh, the two guys I went with uh, earlier in the week on Thursday night, and we were sitting down at the roulette table having a grand old time, even though my wallet was becoming emptier and emptier. Uh, <laughs> when these two, uh, the only proper way to describe them is bros from Arizona State University sat down and, and put down a hefty amount of cash. I will obviously not say how much. But with them were women. And now we're not talking about, you know, like the kind of woman that comes up to the high roller gamblers in Vegas and all of a sudden is very attracted to you for no reason. You know what kind of ladies those are. But clearly girlfriends or... Friends that were girls from ASU that were there on the trip with them. And these gentlemen were content to sit down and just play roulette and have them watch for an hour. And when the women who you are supposed to be with on a trip go behind you to the slot machine and just sit there and look bored out of their mind, maybe it's a sign that you should get up from the roulette table and, oh, gee, I don't know, go to a bar. It's not like there aren't any of them in Las Vegas. <laughs> Maybe, go to, I don't know, go to Denny's. There's one right next door. I, I, that's a terrible restaurant, but just, just go somewhere with them. Hang out with them. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. You should be treating, treating your la- women that you're bringing on the trip with you a little better than that. I have no idea if these guys were attached in terms of a relationship with any of them. But even if they even if they weren't women and they were just other guys, why are you doing something where you're just playing roulette and you're letting somebody else who you're with sit behind you and just watch? Who clearly doesn't have any interest in what you're doing. Guys, I'm married and I knew better to be hanging out with those girls, taking them out, having a good time doing that than you did. What is up with that? Come on. Side note, by the way, gamble at the quad. Low minimums. Very nice and new. Kind of a little confusing layout of the casino, but they're remodeling. Don't stay there. Really terrible hotel rooms. 19-inch Magnavox TV from about 1987 in there. I'm not even... I can't exaggerate. Terrible, terrible television. All right, I promise now we are going to go to every other week with the Kook Center podcast. We're going to skip Ask Michael Anything this week, let you get some questions formulated for the next one we'll do in two weeks. It's a pleasure, as always. Hope you enjoyed yourself here on CoopCenter.com at the Coop Center Podcast. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks.